the best way to do this is actually to create a blog about an area that, you know, one, you're already interested in, and two, where there's a clear way for you to turn the content into products. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn when you should actually spend time on content marketing and SEO, the content plan that they use to grow to 250,000 monthly visitors, and how they drive sales from their blog to their store. Tim joined by Nat Eliason from Cup and Leaf and Growth Machine. And Cup and Leaf sells premium tea for a healthy life and started in 2018 and based out of Austin, Texas. Welcome, Nat. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you, the business that did not start as a business, Cup and Leaf in this case, but it was actually a blog that that just blew up. So tell us more about the blog. Tell us about where it all began. Yeah, so I actually started the Cup and Leaf blog a little earlier in 2018 because I wanted to create a good case study for my SEO marketing agency. And we were growing some of these other e-commerce stores through content marketing and SEO, but we couldn't really talk about them because obviously you don't want you know the agency you're working with to go share all the details of how your company is growing. So we needed a, a good case study we could talk about. And so we started the Cup and Leaf blog just talking about tea uh, really, just so that we we had something we could use as an example in talking to the potential clients. And I, I'd always really loved tea. It always been kind of an interest, and I had joked about starting a tea company in in multiple articles before. So it was a good fit. And we started that blog, and it, it's just started getting a you know, little traffic, and then more traffic. Started taking over some of these bigger terms related to tea, and eventually we kind of said, well, hey, if we're if we're getting all of this traffic, we may as well go ahead and plug a store into it so that people who are reading these articles can just buy tea from us instead of going to another site. And now a bit less than a year later, uh, that's become like a nice extra bit of side income for the agency. And we're actually opening a physical location uh, here in Austin, Texas in the next couple months. So um, so you, you obviously had a lot of experience and that you're applying over a growth machine for all the clients you're working with. You decided to start a, a e-commerce, well, actually a blog at first uh, to apply the skills and expertise that uh, you had over there. Tell us about the approach. Like if someone out there is thinking about taking the same approach and maybe starting off with some kind of passion project, some kind of blog, help us lay the groundwork. Like where should they begin? Yeah, I think the best way to do this is actually to create a blog about an area that, you know, one, you're already interested in, and two, where there's a clear way for you to turn the content into products. So for us, if we were talking about tea, obviously there was easy way for us to take talking about tea and turn it into selling tea. So <clears throat> what you can actually do as a bit of a bridge is create these articles talking about whatever you want to talk about. And obviously you need to optimize them for SEO and everything so that you can get them ranked uh, if you want that to be your, your acquisition channel. And to start off, you could just link out to other people's products using something like an Amazon affiliate program or another company's affiliate program. A lot of companies will pay 10, 20% for the, the traffic that you send them. So you could start with that. And then once your blog is getting enough traffic that it seems like it's actually generating a meaningful number of sales for other people's businesses, you could start swapping out your links to them with links to your own products. 
And that's not exactly what we did, but it would be a way to hack it a little bit uh, earlier on if you don't have kind of like the same resources to throw behind waiting for something to rank and to generate traffic before generating revenue from it. Got it. So the content that you're creating, I'm, I'm assuming it, it was kind of research-backed and data-backed on what you should be creating. Can you tell us about that? Like how does someone figure out what kind of content they should create? Because it, this kind of stuff obviously takes a lot of time, a lot of investment. How does someone that, especially if they're just starting out or they're working just by themselves as a solo founder, how do they make the best use of their time in terms of creating the right type of content? Yeah, uh, and I actually gave away the whole... And this is a free, ungated article. There's no like email sign up or anything. If you just search like Cup and Leaf SEO case study or something, you can see exactly how we did it for this blog. But on a high level, I would start with a sorry, I would start with a tool like Arefs or Semrush, or you could use Google Keyword Planner, which is free, but it doesn't give you as good of information. And just start plugging in terms related to the area of products that you're interested in and see what kind of search volume they're getting. So for us, that that was topics like best green tea, healthiest tea, where to buy tea, uh, best tea for weight loss, whatever. And then going through all of those ideas that we could come up with and seeing how many people were looking for those each month and how difficult it would be to rank on those. And depending on the tool you're using, it can make it really clear, you know, the the total search volume and the total keyword difficulty. And then we sort of scored all of the keywords that were showing up in our searches based on, you know, how many people are looking for it, how difficult would it be to rank for it? And then the third really important thing is, is this a search that will actually lead to a purchase? Because in the beginning, we were just going after raw traffic. And I think that that resulted in us creating a lot of pages that did bring in a lot of traffic, but didn't actually lead to sales. Like as a really good example, we for I think we still have it. But if you search like Jasmine Tea Benefits, we've got one of the top articles on Google for you know information on the benefits of Jasmine Tea. However, very few people actually buy Jasmine Tea from that article. They're sort of just generally interested in learning a bit about jasmine tea it gets some sales but not as high of a conversion rate from its traffic compared to an article like best oolong tea so if you search best oolong tea i think we still come up in the top three or five on google for that and a lot of the teas in the article are just rts and explanations of you know why they're really good and then people go from there to actually buying the tea from us so the intent behind what somebody is searching to arrive at your article is really important if you want to use it as an acquisition strategy for e-com. So is there, are there certain words or phrases that are either added to the front or end of a keyword that you typically uh, pay attention to if you want to uh, focus on keywords that are more likely to lead to a, a purchase? Yeah, definitely. Uh, best is a really good one. People looking for the best X are pretty serious about buying. Uh, where to buy is obviously another super obvious one. Uh, comparisons are really good too. So there, there's a guy named uh, Benji Hyam from Grow and Convert. He's got an article on pain point SEO and he lists out, I think he's got five or six kind of keyword modifiers that he's seen have much higher conversions to sales in articles. Uh, and I've named a couple of them, but some of it too is just experimentation. So, you know, for us, we realized that all of the best lists were converting much better than the benefits lists. But that might be different for different industries. I know that in 
Oh, what's a good example here? Like maybe in the dog food industry, some of the stuff around the benefits of different ingredients or the risks of different ingredients uh, is very uh, influential on purchasing decisions because people who are looking up whether certain ingredients are good or bad for their dogs are actually pretty much ready to buy a new kind of dog food or they're getting dog food for the first time for their puppy. Uh, and so it might be relevant there to focus on benefits articles, even if it's less relevant in another field. Got it. And it's kind of, you had to put yourself in the shoes of the person doing the search and like what, what, what stage in the purchase kind of cycle or, or process are they at when they are searching for this? And some of it, it sounds like it is kind of uh, almost like qualitative, right? So you mentioned that you first started off by getting just raw traffic in at first and not necessarily focusing on, on the on the buyers. Is that an approach that you recommend? Like what is the, um, I guess the idea behind doing it that way? I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it that way. Part of why we did it was we wanted to create a really good growth case study for how quickly we could grow a site to 100,000 mm -hmm. organic visitors per month. And it was really good for that. But if your pure focus was on getting sales, and this is what we do with most of our clients, is we say, you know, look, we could go for a raw traffic play, but that's not necessarily going to lead to the most sales. We should focus instead on some of the longer tail, lower volume, but more likely to convert to actual customers terms that, you know, we can get you ranked for faster and that are actually going to drive more customers. That's probably where I would focus is don't try to get ranked for, you know, in this example, green tea or best green tea right off the bat. Uh, as a super simple example, you could start with like best uh, sencha green tea, right? Like best matcha green tea powder or a best uh, sparkling water in Texas, right? Like start a little more narrow and then you can broaden out later because the more narrow terms are going to be quicker to rank on and they're probably going to have higher purchase intent for you. Got it. So when you were building this out, like how much content are we talking about that you were producing? And was it just you, a team of people? Like how many people were working on, on building out the, the blog at first? Yeah, we did four articles a week, uh, basically every week for a year. And we're still doing two or three articles per week now. And it was all done by one amazing woman on our team, Erica, who runs the Cup and Leaf blog and a few of our other projects. So she actually started as a freelancer with us. And then all of her writing work was so great on Cup and Leaf and some other stuff that we just said, hey, you want to join the team and, and run all of this? But I think that somebody doing it in their spare time could probably do two to three articles a week. Uh, you know, try to just get them done Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something before the craziness of the day sets in aim for like 1500 ish words. Uh, try to go through some sort of training on writing for SEO if you haven't. And the, really the biggest ingredient is just waiting because it takes a long time for this stuff to start to rank, uh, you know, probably four to six months minimum. So you've got to have the patience for it to start bringing in that traffic. Yeah, and because of that waiting period, does it make, I'm, I'm, it, this kind of make it hard for people to rec to kind of course correct or recognize are they going down the right path or not? Are there kind of earlier signs that can show you that your blog or, like, yeah, I guess in this case, your blog is not necessarily destined for success, but more likely to succeed? Yeah, there are three indicators that we tend to track uh, from. So, and one, you know, you can start tracking this week. The next one will take maybe a couple weeks to a month to start to be useful. And then the last might be four to six months. So the, the first indicator is just, are you actually publishing every week? 
Because if you're not putting out two to three posts per week, every week on a super consistent schedule, it's probably never going to work as a strategy for you. And that's the area that I see a lot of people struggle with the most is actually publishing on a consistent schedule, especially in the beginning when you're not getting much of a dopamine hit or reward for doing it. Because you might have to publish two to three articles a week, every week for three or four months before you see any traffic. So that's like the number one indicator is if you're actually publishing. Uh, second to that is like off first page keyword rankings. So you could use any tool for this, like Ahrefs or even Google Webmaster tools if you want to stay free. Uh, we use AccuRanker, but you can track how your articles are ranking even when they're down in like position 60 or 100. So they're way down on the sixth or 10th page where nobody will click on them. But you can see if they're starting to move up towards the first page. And that's a really good leading indicator that what you're doing is working. You're just not seeing the results from it yet. And then once they do start to tip over onto the first page in the top five, top three rankings, then you can start looking at traffic and say, okay, traffic is going up for these. It's not going up for these. Like what's different between them? A big challenge for us early on. And back when we started the agency in like late 2017, we actually lost a few clients because we did a bad job of getting good writers for them. So what we actually did is we built out a whole separate service called the writer finder where we like put out all of these job listings for freelance writers and we said, you know, hey, if you're a freelance writer, fill this out with what you know how to write about, some of your writing samples and your rates. And we've just been collecting their information for a bit over a year now. So we have about 2,000 writers in our system. And we just go straight to them whenever we get a new client and say, like, hey, uh, you know, we've got this client in this area. Like, you've got this expertise. Like, would you like to work on their project? And then we work with them for people who obviously like aren't working with us. We actually sell that out separately so we can do the matchmaking for them and say like, Hey, if you're doing a, you know, dog blog, like we can match you with writers who have written about dogs. Um, that's like, that's the option that, you know, we typically recommend obviously, cause it's like self-serving the other options. Uh, are Upwork, right? So you can go to Upwork and try to find writers that way. The one thing I'd recommend, though, is set your budget and everything on the high end because there's so many freelance writers on Upwork and Freelancer.com that you're going to get inundated with applications uh, and it's going to take you a lot of time to sift through them. So definitely be willing to pay at least 100 to 200 per article because if you set your budget much lower than that you're just going to get way too much stuff to sift through um aside from that like upwork and freelancer.com you can ask other people who are doing a lot of blogging like who they're working with personal referrals can be useful too but Honestly, there's so much volume on the job boards that if you're willing to take the time to sift through all the applications you get, you're going to be able to find someone uh, pretty good. I would just say again, like it's almost not it's almost not worth it to do the strategy at all if you're going to get really inexpensive writers because a $25 article isn't going to help you rank for anything. It's just going to cost you twenty-five dollars, and you're not going to see the ROI on it. So, I would definitely be willing to spend on at least the medium range for good quality content if you want to have it be worthwhile for you. What would you say is that medium range? What's like the threshold that you usually see where the kind of content that is pretty being produced is actually going to net some kind of value? 
Yeah, I'd say anywhere from one to three hundred dollars per fifteen hundred word article is about the range you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like you've mentioned a couple of times that this uh, matchmaking that you're doing is often around someone that has experience writing in that industry. Is that the most important uh, kind of, I guess, filter that you should hire someone that has written in this space before? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you get somebody who doesn't have experience writing in that space, then they're probably not very experienced in that space, which means they're going to be going out and reading other people's articles in that space and then trying to hack together their own article based on other people's stuff. And for anybody in your industry, it's going to be really obvious when a piece is spun together like that. So you don't want to hurt your brand equity by having someone who doesn't know what they're talking about trying to act like an authority on your blog. You should get somebody who actually knows the space and can write about it well if you're going to get a freelance writer. Got it. And are there ways for you to, I guess, what, what's important to, to to evaluate when you're interviewing them or, or I guess testing out if it's going to be a good fit or not? Like, what do you usually look for? Honestly, the best thing is just to have them do a test article, right? So say, like, here's the topic, here's the criteria, uh, here's the due date, go, and then see what happens. Because the things you're looking for most there, at, number one, the absolute most important is, do they get the article back to you finished before the due date? Because the thing that is really going to hamstring you is dealing with writers who don't stick to deadlines. And writers are notoriously bad about this. And so we're pretty strict with our writers. You know, we say like, look, we're going to give you tons of work and we're going to pay you quickly. And you're not going to sort of be wondering where your next job is coming from. But in return, like you have to deliver stuff on schedule because like our work relies on it. So if you start with a freelance writer and they're not turning things in on time uh, or if they're not um, giving you like very fair warning, if something is going to be late, then you absolutely should not work with them. And you give them like one or two chances. you got to be really strict about it. Uh, second to that is just, is the article like impressive for your niche, right? Like, does it come back and you're like, oh, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about? That's going to be a really good sign. And then the third is just like, if they have any kind of experience creating articles that have ranked before, And I would ask them that. I would say, like, hey, I know you've written about this space before. Can you tell me any keywords I should search that will lead me to your articles? That's a really good question to ask as well, because then that will tell you if they have experience writing for Google and for SEO, as opposed to writing in a more like essay, personal narrative Mm -hmm. style that might be interesting and useful, but is much less likely to uh, actually get placed on the first page. Got it. So when you do have this kind of engagement with a, a freelance uh, writer specifically for SEO purposes, what are the kind of expectations from both sides? Like, what do you what do you have to give them, and what do they typically, I guess, return? What is the the, the deliverable? For us, it's pretty simple at this point because we, I mean, we make all of our writers go through training, so they have to learn how to you know write for SEO and do our process and all of that stuff. If you're outside of kind of an agency setup like that, I think. A pretty simple way to do it is you want a writer who can take a keyword that you give them and then go create a really good article about that keyword. So, you know, they need those three things that we already talked about, the experience in the field, some experience with SEO and attentiveness to deadlines. Uh, But then they should be able to just take that keyword, go look at what's ranking for that topic right now, see where the opportunity is to create something better and then create 
that piece. Like that's really the core of it is do they have the ability to create one of the best articles on the internet for this topic or not? Uh, and I'd say that better than trying to like spend tons of time training and improving their writing or forcing them to fit certain criteria, like just try to find somebody who already knows what they're doing and be willing to pay a bit more for it. Cause it's going to save you a lot of headache and a lot of back and forth with getting the strategy up and running. Mm-hmm. So around that 150 uh, budget threshold that you talked about before, are they expected to do the keyword research at that phase too, or is that expected to come from you? No, that, that should come from you. You should give them the keyword and the topics to write about, and then they should be able to go run with it and turn around a good article to you within a week or so. Got it. So now for your particular case with 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 the the, the brand that you started with, with Cup and Leaf, did the did the I guess the rankings did that affect your product selection? Because once you're able to start thinking, how do I turn this blog into something into into an e-commerce store into a brand? How did you decide what you should be focusing on first to to add to your your catalog? Yeah, we we focused on it a little bit early on, and now we're starting to think about it more, where as stuff starts to rank, that kind of influences what teas we start adding into the store. So, for example, we started ranking for a lot of keywords around mint tea and like uh, bedtime tea and mint tea and things like that. And we didn't have any mint teas on the store, so we went out and got like a spearmint and a peppermint tea and like a mint green tea and a mint black tea and added them in. And then we could go back and plug those into the articles. And so they already had their marketing baked into the blog, and then we just created the products on the store uh, to fit the demand coming from those pieces. And as soon as we added those products, they already started getting sales from the articles, which was pretty cool. We've also had a couple situations where we write an article about a topic or have some traffic for a certain topic and it's not for a specific tea. So for example, uh, for a while, and I think we still are, we're in the top spot for like best tea for an upset stomach. And there were teas that were referenced in the article that we could send people to, but then we also created a like happy tummy tea blend. So something that is specifically focused on like digestion and, you know, maybe eating, drinking after a meal and added that to the store and we're able to plug that into the post as well. So it's kind of a cool way to come up with ideas for what products to add, because like I said, you've already got the traffic and the interest there. You just need to create the product to fulfill it. Mm. So once the, the blog is ranking and the articles are ranking and traffic's coming to those articles, what do you do exactly to drive the traffic and sales to the product pages? Yeah, we've we've played with a lot of different things for this, and uh, it's sort of a combination of them seems to be what works. So one is we have a very targeted visual call to action at the end of the introduction before the first paragraph of the relevant posts. So if you look at, say, our best green tea post right uh, below the introduction paragraphs, it says, like, looking for the best green tea, click here to view our collection. And that sends them from the blog to the store because a lot of people searching those keywords don't actually want to read an article. They want to just get the green tea. And so they'll click through to the store collection really quickly. So that's one way we do it. Another is we'll have uh, text and visual call to actions within the body of the article for specific T's as they're mentioned. So sticking with that example, when you scroll down and you start reading about, okay, the best green T's that we recommend, if one of them is one of our products, there'll be like a picture of that tea with a text link to where it is in our store alongside it as well. So that drives a certain amount of the traffic. And then we've also got 
email pop-ups within the blog that you know either suggest checking out that uh, that topic on the store. So for some of the really high traffic articles, you know, it's another pop-up saying, hey, check the collection, or it's a more generic pop-up giving them a 10% off coupon for their first order and sending them to the uh, store that way. So there's like a lot of little things you can do, and then they really all just add up to help get more of that blog traffic to go to the store and buy something. Got it. So if uh, what about like the, the product page itself? What kind of optimization goes on, on there onto, on the store itself rather than the, the blog and articles? What about the product pages? Honestly, we haven't done too much with that yet. It, and I, I think there is a lot more we could be doing there. The one thing I will say is that we've been able to tweak some of the product page language, especially around health benefits and history and things like that based on what seems to be getting the most interest on the blog. Uh, and that's been pretty useful. But honestly, we haven't done as much on the product page based on what we're seeing with SEO. And I think that's going to be a good next step for us. Got it. And was that your recommendation then to, to for, for uh, store owners to focus on building out this, this content first to drive traffic there? And then from the content, you drive them to the, to the product pages? Possibly, yeah, if, if they want to go this route of building a business. But I will say that most people coming at content marketing and SEO for e-commerce already have their business. And I would honestly say in most cases, it shouldn't be your first marketing channel because I think a lot of people go down the SEO rabbit hole because they have a limited budget and they think like, oh, this is free. Uh, but it's not really free because you got to spend six months or maybe more trying to like grow the traffic in order for it to become an acquisition channel. Uh, I would have something else working first before you invest a lot of time in it, unless you're building out the blog for fun and then you're going to plug in products later. Or if you're like us and you've already got this, you know, really strong content team in place who can invest in building up the traffic. Um, so I, I think we did come at it a weird way. And so I'd say less, not so much that it makes sense for you to, start your company this way more that like whatever's already working you could augment it with this and then keep doing what's working while you wait for the seo traffic to kick in and then as it kicks in uh you can use whatever data insights you're getting from that to go back and do anything else with your products and with your store information is there a certain thing that i guess uh, if a client approaches you are there certain things that you look at before you recommend that they start going on this path of, uh, of organic SEO traffic? For working with us, it's actually basically the thing I just mentioned is the biggest qualifier or disqualifier. If they don't have a marketing channel that's already working really well, we usually won't work with them because we see a lot of people who, like I said, think that SEO and content are like just magical money pipes <laughs> and mm -hmm. like they're not it's, it's harder than that so we want to make sure that their business is like stable and can sustain a long-term investment in content seo before they invest in doing it with us i think if you were going to be your first channel you would have to do it yourself i wouldn't hire an agency or something to do it if you don't already have something else working for you so that's a big thing that will cause to turn away a client Got it. So, if a store does have a channel that's already working, like like we talked about, like you like you're talking about, and but they don't mm -hmm. have a blog yet that's driving any any organic traffic, what do you typically recommend they begin? Like, what's the first step that they should be taking if they already have maybe paid traffic working already? How should they begin down the route of adding in a blog and getting that organic traffic? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say put together a content plan for six months, hire a freelance writer or two, and then execute on the content plan for six months and see what happens. But set aside that budget now to make sure you're actually going to see those six months through and get some writers who are actually going to deliver things on time and make sure that it's getting published on time. Because the biggest thing that we see is like somebody says, oh yeah, we should do content marketing. And then their head of marketing says, all right, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll write a couple articles each week. And they do it for, you know, three or four weeks and then it falls by the wayside or they say, yeah, let's do it. And they hire someone's, you know, niece or nephew who got an English degree and say like, all right, write us some articles. And then they publish some articles like that's not going to do anything either. Right. Like if you're going to try to do it, then actually do it and do it for long enough that you can start to get some insights from it. Uh, I think that's going to be the best place to start. And so, yeah, if you totally don't know what you're doing, then find a really good case study, a really good course that you can try to model off of, get a couple of writers and, just go for it for a while and see what happens. It's really something that requires a lot of practice and exposure to get good at. And you're going to have to be willing, I think, to lose money on it in the near term if you're trying to run it yourself. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Hey, what goes into a content plan? Yeah, it's mostly what I talked about earlier on in the call where it's going through these keyword tools and saying, okay, here's all the topics we could write about. Here's how they stand in terms of number of people searching for them. Here's how they stand in terms of their relative difficulty. And here's how relevant I think they are to our buyers. And then I usually tell people to come up with at least a hundred keywords with that research behind it. And then from that list of 100 plus keywords, pick, okay, we're doing six months at three per week. So it's going to be about 104 articles. Um, is that right? No, it's not quite right, is it? So three per week. So that'd be 13 a month for six months. Yeah. So we're talking 678 articles. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to have like at least that many that you could go after. And then uh, just like, prioritize them based on all that volume and difficulty and relevancy and then save the rest for later. Because if you go through the six months and stuff is starting to tick up, then you might want to keep investing in it. But really that's all, all you need are like the topics that have a decent amount of volume uh, that aren't crazy difficult and that seem relevant to your buyers. And then, then you just go and you're not going to be able to perfectly predict what will and won't work, which is part of where the getting stuff out there, seeing what's converting and what's not, and then iterating around that comes in. It's a very like long-term test and readjust the strategy style process. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that uh, the, the vo- search volume and the difficulty are two most important aspects to look at for a keyword. I think the volume one's pretty straightforward. It used to list it. What about difficulty? How do you understand or how do you make a determination on how difficult it would be to to rank for a keyword? Yeah, we mostly just go off of the AREF's keyword difficulty score. So if you use the AREF's tool, it gives every keyword a score of 0 to 100 for how difficult it would be for you to rank for that keyword. And for a much newer site without many, uh, without much of a backlink profile, we'll try to stick with keywords difficulty with a difficulty below 15. Uh, as the site gets more authority in the space, more sites are linking to it, it's getting more traffic. We'll slowly ratchet that up to 20, 30, 40. But we definitely want to start with 
the easiest keywords we can. So below 15, definitely ideally below 10. Uh, and sometimes we'll even find really good opportunities with difficulty below five. And so those will be like the ones that we want to get up on the site ASAP because if they're super low difficulty and super high volume, that's going to be a really great quick win for the site to help everything else start to rank faster. Mm. And I think, you know, going back to your earlier point about how you can you measure whether this can be successful for you or not is first like an internal thing, which is, are you publishing on a you know weekly or some kind of regular schedule? And I think a lot of people will be hesitant to start or maybe start and give up because they have this fear of running out of content. Like at some point I'm going to run out of content. So why even bother starting this? Is this, you know, based on your experience, is this a real fear? Uh, maybe if you're in something crazy, crazy specific, but uh, if you're not, mm -hmm. there are almost certainly at least 50 to hundred topics that your target customers are searching for. And even if it's only 50 or 100, you should still get those 50 or 100 up. And then you can keep improving those articles based on what is and isn't working. Because that's one thing we haven't talked about as much is that each article should be a living document in a sense. And that depending on what keyword rank it ends up at, you should be willing to go back and adjust it, improve it, make it more competitive over time. So even if you only have 50 topics, you might spend let's say a quarter doing three articles a week, get all 50 of them up, and then you might let it sit for a quarter. And then in the third quarter, you might go back and say, okay, these ones are doing well, these ones aren't. How can I make these ones that aren't doing well better by adding more content or promoting them some more or maybe getting some more links back to them and continuing to iterate on it that way? Because if you've got 50 articles bringing in a 1,000 visitors a month, like, that's an extra 50,000 visitors a month that once it's set up are coming in for very low cost. So it's definitely worth taking the time to try to get those 50 pages up. Uh, okay, so when you're talking about improving content, what's more important? Is it to push content that's already working to make it better? Or do you focus on looking for the content that's just mediocre or not working that well and trying to improve those? Which, which one is more important to you? I'd say it depends on where you are in working through the list of keywords you could go after. So for us, we've got 200 some articles up on the Cup and Leaf blog, and we're actually running out of tea-related keywords. So now it makes more sense for us to spend more and more of our time on trying to get ranked higher for the really high valuable topics. Because even going from position three to position two for a super high valuable topic like best oolong tea is going to result in a lot more traffic and a lot more sales for us. So that's definitely worth focusing on. But some of the other keywords that maybe don't convert to sales as well, like uh, benefits of chamomile tea, right? Like it converts some, but not as much. If we're already at position two or three, four, we might not take the time to try to get it to number one, we might try to go after other topics instead. So it becomes more of a judgment call. But at, over time, as you start to exhaust the list of good topics to write about, then you start putting more and more of that energy towards getting the high value topics ranked higher and higher. Got it. What are some factors that you look for when you are returning back to an article or piece of content to improve it? A few things. Uh, time on page and bounce rate are usually good things to look at. So if somebody's only spending, if people on average are only spending 20, 30 seconds on the page and bouncing, then you might not be hooking them very well in the intro. So that could be a sign that you need to go through and try to make the article more interesting from the start. Or it could be a sign that it's targeting the wrong keyword, right? 
that people are showing up for one topic, but and your article is ranking for that topic, but your article is actually about another topic, in which case it might make sense to break it out into two articles, one more focused on the keyword people are arriving for an answer to, and another based on whatever other topic the article was originally about. Uh, then there's the more qualitative stuff. So go look at what's currently in the top three spots, top five spots on Google, and say, what's better about these articles than mine? Are they more detailed? Do they give more visuals? Do they have like a video or some cool graphics included in them? Try to figure out why it is that they're winning and you're not, and then decide how you can improve your article to make it more in line uh, with the expectations set by those pieces of content. That's usually the process we'll go through. Um, and that'll give us a pretty good idea of what we might need to do to make our stuff more competitive. Mm -hmm. When you look at a store or a store approaches you and they already have some kind of content marketing or they already have a blog up, what, what would you say is the most common mistake that you see stores making that already do have a blog, already do have content? What is the common mistake that you see? Just that it's not very good. In most cases, they either had their marketing, their like head of marketing uh, write all the articles and they're probably not really a writer, right? Like they're probably a marketer who does some writing but you really want a writer who does some marketing. So we'll see a lot of sites come to us and they're ranking for a few things, but they've got all of these, you know, 500, 800 word articles that are not very in-depth that aren't better than what's in the top spots right now. And obviously they're not going to rank for anything. So what we'll actually do with those sites is we'll start by going through and rewriting everything on their blog that has some potential to rank for a good keyword. And the reason we do that is that those rewrites can actually rank much faster than creating new content from scratch. So if we got approached by a blog that already had an article on benefits of green tea and we rewrote it to make it way better and way more competitive for that term, we might see results in two to three months. Whereas if we wrote a new article on benefits of green tea from scratch, it might be like more like four to six months, depending on the authority of the site. So it's a really great way for us to get quick wins for those sites that are coming to us that already have some content on their site. Got it. So can you share some numbers with us? So I think the last update you gave me was um, 150,000 monthly visitors uh, and, and growing. And then also you shared that it was over $3,000 per month in revenue and growing. Is that still in the same ballpark? Uh, it's more. It's uh, more like 5K in revenue. And then the blog is like 250,000 visitors a month. Amazing. Is that, would you, you know, based on what you've seen, is that in the ballpark of what you typically see? Like, you know, 250,000 monthly visitors and, you know, 5K ish range in revenue? No, that's actually the lowest of any site that we work with, which is a little <laughs> embarrassing for us. Um, and I think it's because we're coming from, being like content marketing SEO people and not product or e-commerce people. So it's been like a cool learning experience for me to try to learn more about conversion rate optimization and store design and product selection and things like that, that, you know, in the past, our clients have all handled and they've been really, they've done a really good job at optimizing their site to use our traffic. And, you know, we haven't had as much of a hand in that. Now we're having to learn to do it ourselves. So that's been kind of like a cool Cool learning experience. I mean, based based on what we see with other sites, it should be more like anywhere from ten to twenty thousand dollars a month or more for that blog specific organic traffic. Uh, but it's not. So we got work to do, but it's fun work. So I don't mind. 
Yeah, well, it's definitely uh, a, lot, a lot more promising then. You know, with 250,000 monthly visitors at 5K revenue, you definitely can't expect a lot more than that. So I think that, that that's definitely uh, inspiring for a lot of people. So when you did go down this route of turning this into into an e-commerce store, talk to us about how you built out the, the product catalog. How did you guys, I guess, how large is it today? How many different products are you selling? Yeah, we got about 45 different teas with another I think it's like 48 tees and then maybe like seven or eight pieces of hardware to go with them. And most of the tea selection is just based on what we like <laughs> and what we want to add to the store, plus what's ranking what other people want. So all the initial selection was what me and my co-founder Cosette just really liked in terms of tea and wanted to include in the store. And then over time, we've expanded the selection based on, you know, what else we want to add, what else we're able to find suppliers for. Some teas are harder to find than others, uh, and obviously what people are searching for. So it's a good mix of, I think, data-driven and passion-driven. And now we've got the process down pretty well with our warehouse and with our suppliers and with our, like, packaging and fulfillment setup where we can add new teas pretty easily based on you know, seeing new opportunities pop up from the content. Got it. So you mentioned as well earlier on that you guys are on the path towards opening up a physical store for this. Tell us more about that. Yeah, we basically, uh, we got, or so I moved to Austin last September and then I just sort of passively started watching the commercial real estate listings because I thought, oh, you know, maybe it'd be fun to have a, a cafe at some point. And didn't you know didn't think it would actually come to anything in the near term and then this spot popped up in east austin that was a really good size in a great location had tons of outdoor seating and so Cosette and i went and checked it out and you know we loved it it required very little sort of like rehabbing we just had to build out the interior and we already had all of our design figured out all of our sourcing figured out all of our product figured out so we had a lot of that salute that stuff done we just needed to do you know plumbing and electrical and carpentry work and then get everything permitted and so we signed that lease in february like february 15th and we're hoping to open in the next month month and a half so we're getting pretty close we're getting the very last permits done most of our carpentry work's getting done off-site so that they can just you know come in with it as soon as the permits are approved and then we'll just have to do the plumbing and electrical and be good to go that's amazing. So from, from a blog to a physical store in less than two years, definitely very inspiring. So <laughs> cupandleaf.com is a store, growthmachine.com is the, the, the agency that you run. So thanks so much for your time, Nat. So last question I ask you is, what would you say needs to happen this year for you to consider a success for, for Cup and Leaf? Yeah, I'd love to get the organic, tra- or I'd love to get the monthly revenue over 10 grand. And I'd love to get the physical location at least break even, if not profitable. Those are the two big goals for Cup and Leaf for this year. Awesome. And I, and I think that that breakdown that you mentioned, the case study for Cup and Leaf, we'll link to that in the show notes. Make sure anyone wants to check out in more detail, step-by-step, how it's all done. Again, thank you so much for your time, Nat. Yeah, thanks, Felix. This was fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.